Today, answers matter more than ever before. That's why IBM is helping businesses manage customer questions with Watson Assistant. It's conversational AI designed to work for any industry. Let's put smart to work. Visit ibm.com slash Watson Assistant. This is The Sporting Life on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Here's Jeremy Schaap. We're continuing our conversation about race and protest in the wake of the death of George Floyd last week at the hands of Minneapolis police. We're joined now by an old friend of mine, one of the most distinguished sports writers in America, having spent 33 years at the New York Times. He is now a writer at large for the undefeated, and he is the author of, among other books, $40 Million Slaves, William C. Roden. Bill, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Jeremy. And it was 34 years because, you, know, you, you know, you got to we got to take every inch, man, <laughs> every inch of credibility. So that one year I work hard, I work hard for that one year, brother. Are you telling me Wikipedia was wrong? It's at 83 to 16. I, I, I apologize. Bill. I think it was a, it's, a, it's a conspiracy. <laughs> 34 years at The New York Times. That's right. And Bill, you know, all those years, um, you know, on the sports reporters and you and my dad would talk about these issues on the show, the issues that have been roiling the country that we've been discussing in the now we're speaking on Thursday, 10 days since George Floyd died in police custody after Derek Chauvin pressed his knee into Floyd's neck, that that horrific video. What what thoughts have been uppermost in your mind during this period? Uh, you know, Jeremy, I've had so many thoughts. I mean, I guess my largest thought is I guess one of my biggest, greatest fears is that we just continue to inch toward this uh, authoritarianism, authoritarian uh, government, a totalitarian government. Uh, and I'm just concerned that a lot of my sort of colleagues, fellow Americans, particularly some you know my white brothers, you know, don't really see this thing coming, don't see this, this threat. You know, kind of in denial. I, I think maybe what we're seeing, in a way, in terms of outpouring of, of of people in the street, particularly you know young white kids and students in the street, maybe underlines you know a fact that maybe a lot of that generation does see this threat, a, a larger threat to their freedom that goes beyond uh, you know go, goes beyond what party you belong to and that kind of stuff. So that's those are my thoughts. And I guess my other thought though is that. I've seen these things before, and particularly again when a lot of you know white brothers and sisters are involved. And I've seen it, you know, when you get tired, when they get tired of it, they can always, okay, I'm tired of this. Let let me go back to being white, <laughs> you know, or when it gets too hot, let me go back to being white and privileged and all that kind of stuff. So I, I my thoughts, I just hope this is this sustained moral indignation and moral pressure. Uh, continues. We're speaking with William C. Roden. And, and Bill, you were a college student in the 1960s. Um, Quote unquote. You saw that turmoil. You, you saw all of that up close. You were, a, you were a football player at a historically black college, Morgan State in Baltimore. How, how do you compare um, the movement then uh, to what we're seeing now? Well, I think it's, I think it, it, you know, again, I was 18, 19, 20, so I was, you know, silly and nuts, too. Uh, I think it's much more broad-based now. I think that the uh, the evils of this society 
uh, are grasped by a larger group of people back in 68. And remember, you know, I was informed by Muhammad Ali, uh, you know, by Jim Brown on the Cleveland Summit, by, um, uh, you know, um, the Black Panthers, by Kurt Flood, who took on baseball. So, so during that period of time, there was this tumult. There, you know, there, there, was, there was tension and there was a black uprising, black consciousness, uh, although even with Tommy Smith and John Carlson trying to tell people on the stand in Mexico City that this is not just about black people. This is about freedom for all people. And I think back then, you know, the voice was drowned out. Oh, that's a black thing. I think now many more people uh, across the world are realizing that black people only represent a profound truth. Black people in America simply represent a profound truth about the hypocrisy of a democracy built on the backs of, of, of slavery, that, that such a country really does not have a soul. So I think that there is a larger degree of people who want to really search for an American soul, create American soul, because we really love the, the dream of this experiment. So, I, so I, I just think that the difference between then and now is maybe there's a larger and painful recognition of the painful truth about our country. You mentioned Ali and Jim Brown. You were a friend of Arthur Ashe's. Um, you knew so many of the important figures in the civil rights movement, especially those who were also figures in the world of sports. The fact that we're um, where we are now in 2020, and Arthur Ashe died 28 years ago. Um, what, what do you think? What do you think he would think that this is the state of affairs now? Well, I, I think that um, what they all realize, you know, Arthur, uh, is that you know this is an existential, never-ending battle. You know, I think that sometimes you know, just like we talk about the pandemic, is that when when we're over this, and I think that's probably the wrong approach. I think that. Um, what we're fighting against and resisting this deeply seated uh, racism, which is uh, connected to uh, economics and 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 the, and the wealthy getting more and greed and that kind of stuff, that's just a, a, a built into the uh, cornerstone of our country. And to root it out means digging into the foundation of our country and that's never ending jeremy that's a never ending uh battle unfortunately you know if, if you look at those those pictures uh, you know of the south of those white mobs smiling and standing underneath the pictures of lynched black people well you know a lot of those a lot of those people obviously all them are dead but a lot of their grandchildren and great-grandchildren are who, who, who hold some of those same Latter-day views are still alive, still fighting that same battle. You see them in Virginia with the Confederate flag, with the Nazi insignia and all that. Those people are still here. You know, so I think that uh, what they say, what I say today is that, man, this battle is just never, never ending. And I think that's what probably uh, made Drew Brees' comments uh, so um, infuriating is that he didn't, he didn't recognize, well, I, I, I happen to think, I don't see how you could not recognize uh, that this pain and suffering uh, 
is something that he helped perpetuate. So anyway, long-winded answer uh, to your question about what they say. I just think that our kids, our young black kids, they have to realize that this this battle that we're up against is never ending. Speaking with Bill Roden, writer at large for the undefeated author of, among many books, Forty Million Dollar Slaves, and um, uh, Bill, you mentioned Drew Brees' comments that he made to Yahoo about the flag and protest on uh, Wednesday. Thursday, he apologized for those comments after very strong reaction from people in sports and beyond criticizing those comments. Um, what did you think of his apology? Um, again, Jeremy, I'm sort of beyond the point now in my life of words. I mean, words hurt, but, but we're, we're beyond words. But I will say this. I think that when we talk about having to have tough conversations about racism in this country, it goes both ways. You know, you just can't say, oh, I want to have a tough conversation about racism, and then I preach to you. That's a two-way street. You know, we've got to hear tough conversations from people who disagree with us. Uh, and I think there's, there can be a, a, a righteous objection to those of us who feel entitled sort of to the truth or a moral high ground that we don't really have to listen that, that having a tough conversation about racism only goes one way. That is us preaching, the other people listening. But that tough conversation goes both ways. we got to listen. We have to have them lay it out, even if we go, you know, pick it apart, try to educate. So with Drew, you know, I mean, he's, what he said, he said then 2016 when Colin Kaepernick first began protesting, he said the same thing about the flag. I think he was misguided then. He's misguided now. He apologized maybe for not articulating himself, but I think that you got to listen to it. I'm not saying i got to say accept his apology, but it's the beginning of a, of a dialogue, you know, and, it's a, and it's, a, it's, a tough, it's a tough dialogue, but it goes two ways. So that, that's kind of what I'm thinking, uh, that when you have these, these people who have racist views, fascist views, um, I guess it's a thin line between uh, shutting them down and trying to educate them. But, you know, again, some people aren't interested in educating. They're just interested in war. So I think we also have to <laughs> decide about that. What do you do when some people are just committed to war? And I, I think we're probably uncomfortably close to to having to have those kind of conversations. Bill, I know you got to run. Uh, it uh, means a lot to us that you came on the show this week to talk about these issues. Thank you so much for joining us. Hey, Jeremy. Yeah, no, thank you. Thank you very much for keeping this stuff uh, alive and open and, and uh, you know, facilitating dialogue. I'm Jeremy Schapp, and you can listen to new editions of The Sporting Life every Saturday and Sunday morning on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app, beginning at 6 a.m. Eastern Time.